searching for Canada's best startups. The Pitch Please Podcast. Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Give us your best pitch. Pitch please. Three, two, one. Connecting with Canada's startups to learn about their business and the amazing people behind them. Follow along and hear some of the most interesting ideas in startups from across Canada. What's up, everybody? It's Mike. We're back here on the Pitch Please podcast. And today I've got TJ from WorkPal. They're an AI tool for workforce management to help streamline scheduling. I'm sure it does a bunch of other cool things, and I'm sure there's an interesting roadmap. So I'm going to let him get his pitch in. But to get us started, TJ, why don't you give us a quick background on yourself, your role at WorkPal, and then we'll learn a little bit about your background that led you to where you are right now. Sounds awesome, Mike. Thank you very much for having me. My name is TJ Walia. I basically am the founder and CEO at WorkPal. A little bit about my history and how I got started. I have a, I've had a career of, a corporate career of about 20 years, out of which I spent about 15 years at Microsoft. And during that uh, journey, I, as I was growing up, I was, actually, I was actually pulled into Microsoft while I was still in my second year university. And uh, so it got me a lot of exposure into the corporate world. But on the entrepreneurial side, my entire family has always been in the entrepreneurial world. So from my parents to my uncles, my aunts, everyone has either had retail stores or some sort of businesses associated with anything and everything, including gas stations, hotels, properties, you name it. So for me, there was always that itch of getting into the, the entrepreneurial world. And uh, the first, I guess, dabble I had with any of this was while I was actually still in university. What I had actually started doing was to pay for university, I'd actually started selling cell phones. I'd made some contacts at the local Rogers stores, and I basically started selling on their behalf with a nice healthy margin, of course, and a markup. And that actually essentially paid for a lot of my university. And then from there, slowly started dabbling in other businesses. Um, one of which was taking my dad's retail business online. So we actually established his e-commerce business back in, I would say it was about 2014. And we actually expanded it to the point where we were actually shipping his product worldwide. So whether it was Italy, UK, Spain, US, like you name the country, we were shipping uh, women's dresses globally. And then COVID hit, obviously, and we had to kind of, you know, wind down on that aspect of it because i um, our entire supply chain kind of got broken down and uh, was impacted with the manufacturers and all that. So for me, though, with WorkPal, it's something that the idea was actually born several years prior. What had happened was we had actually come, we were coming back from a party and my, my daughter, my, she was the youngest one at the time out of, um, out of three, she was actually crying because she was hungry, didn't eat at the party, whatnot. You know, kids, kids cry for various reasons and we figured she'd probably be hungry, what's one of them? We decided to pull into uh, to the McDonald's and the drive-through to you know get a kit chicken nuggets and uh, you know they'll they'll stop crying. That was probably one of the biggest mistakes we made that night, Mike. What had happened was as soon as we pulled into the drive-through lane, everything stopped. There was about at least a forty to fifty-minute wait in that drive-through lane. I couldn't back up because there was the cars behind me. Wait, they've got the um, the curbs uh, next to them, so I couldn't go over them. So we're just sitting there. And by the time we got to the window, my other daughter's crying. My wife is in tears. I'm ready to, you know, just jump out of the car. And I get to the window. I'm like, guys, like, what's going on? What's, uh, what's the issue? Like, what's, the, what's causing all the delay? And what had happened was they actually had two people calling sick. And that broke their entire system. And with those two people calling in sick, they couldn't get the food produced on time. They couldn't get it, you know, out the window. And 
And instead of, you know, people sympathizing with them, everyone was yelling at these individuals for being there, right? For showing up and trying to save the day. And that's when the idea was actually born. And I thought, you know what? Someone's going to have to figure out a way to do this. And I waited for a couple of years, actually, after that point. So I didn't, you know, really act on it. I just sat around and thought maybe, maybe you know, and every time I'd go through a drive-thru and see it, I'm like, oh, there it is again. Someone still hasn't thought of this. Someone still hasn't thought of this. And eventually I got to the point, I'm like, you know what? No one's going to do it. So I had to roll up my sleeves and uh, I got an opportunity um, to, to look at building this platform. And uh, initially, I had started conceptualizing it with, because it applies to a lot of industries, I started conceptualizing it with the police force. There's a uh, chief of police from a reputable police organization locally in the GTA. Him and I met. We, uh, we chatted about the pain points that they had in their units and how their scheduling was, uh, was being impacted, especially for last minute changes. And that's kind of where, you know, we, we put uh, ink on paper and uh, started conceptualizing what the idea needs to look like. I went through a couple of iterations until I landed at where I am. So for me, the biggest thing was I didn't want it to be just another app or another platform that we could just launch for the sake of it. I wanted it to solve a problem. And for me, as you may know from my, my days at Microsoft even, I'm very, very um, keen on productivity and efficiency. So from a productivity perspective, everything I came back with, I'm like, I don't like this. It's not working. It's not solving what I wanted to solve. Even though some of the users that were looking at it and saying, oh, we just need an app that does this. That was the frame of mind. And that's what they were used to is just another app. And I, you know, I thought people are getting bored of that. They're getting sick of that. That's not what they essentially want. What they want is to solve the problem. And if I can solve that problem in a very effective way that is or is not an app, they don't really care as long as that problem goes away. And so that's kind of where WorkCal was born. And we kind of, you know, started building the team around, uh, around getting the development, the designs and all that structure in place. And, uh, and, and we effectively, you know, launched WorkPal since then. That's cool. Well, I want to talk about WorkPal in a second, but first I want to talk about this, like start of your journey. You know, you talked about this piece where you were surrounded by amazing entrepreneurs in a various amount of industries. And so was there this notion that when you were still in school, you know, you were selling cell phones, you're already being entrepreneurial. Do you think there was something at that time that you thought maybe entrepreneurship's not going to be for me? Because, you, you know, you came into, you, you know, 15 years of Microsoft, you, you yeah. kind of went down this path of a career, despite being surrounded by entrepreneurs. Was it, hey, I know I'm going to do this. The timing's just not yet. Was there something else? that sort of, you know, started that journey. Because, and the reason I want to talk about this is there's the second piece to that journey, which is when you actually became an entrepreneur. And I'm always fascinated by those parallels and the decision points for people, because I, I don't think they're in isolation for any individual. Lots of people face that. They're like, should I take path A or path B? So it's always yeah. helpful to hear how other people went through that them, themselves. Yeah. You know, so it, it, it's funny you ask that question because there was actually a turning point in my life that I had to be very deliberate of what I do. And what I did was, so in, inside, I always thought I was an entrepreneur because this is what I was doing. But for some reason, I thought I'm not being able to execute at that same level to get that same result as an entrepreneur. And I couldn't figure out what it was. So I went to some of my closest friends and I asked for feedback. It's like, when you look at TJ, what do you see? Right? And they gave me a list of, is a techie, is this, he's that, but everything but an entrepreneur. And it used to 
tick me off. I was like, okay, you know what? This is not what I want. All I want is that one answer. Where is it? Why isn't anyone giving me that? And then I realized that the perception I have of myself is totally different than what the perception of other, that others have. And it's typically that we have that. So I had to actually change my own behaviors and activities in order to get to that perception of others seeing that as well. So I went through creating a, a kids program that I launched a couple of years ago, which was basically training children the ages of nine to 12 on how to be leaders, how to be entrepreneurs, how to you know, uh, start a business, doing all of that. Because I had done all that, but that wasn't what people were seeing. They were just seeing me as the guy who worked at Microsoft, but not the guy who's doing all that. Once I started doing that, I helped my wife with her business. She opened a spa as well. And we kind of, you know, partnered together along, along that. This is while I was still at Microsoft. That perception of, is TJ an entrepreneur or not, started changing for others as well. And then they started seeing that. And that's when I realized I was on the right track. And I got to a point where I was constantly coming up with ideas, solutions, and I even started treating my role at Microsoft as an entrepreneur. So there were times when I developed solutions, especially when I was in the enterprise services group for, for the education sector, which we had never done before. So that came out as you know, part of my entrepreneurial journey. It's like, okay, you know what? I can do this and apply this anywhere. It doesn't have to be that I'm in a certain role or I'm doing, running a certain business. It happens anywhere and everywhere. But it was really that perception that had to change for myself first in order for me to identify and then switch over to, to having others see that same lens from the same lens. Yeah, there's two interesting pieces you have there. I think one was obviously there's the perception change, but there's probably like this timeline where you probably benefited from developing some skills along the way that are going to make you and are making you a better entrepreneur. Can you tell me about like, you talk about this element, and I think a lot of people that I've seen that do a little bit of both have this superpower that I don't know if everyone realizes, but when you were sort of helping build this curriculum up or helping your wife, and then you started bringing these entrepreneurial skills to Microsoft and then things that you were probably learning at Microsoft and applying them in the way you were approaching these problems. What are some of like the top skills that you found from either or pile that were helping impact your, your effectiveness in each other, other role? You know what, I think, and it's a big blend, right? Like, I mean, the roles that we had at Microsoft allowed us to have the autonomy to do whatever we wanted to do to have that impact. So I, I would say that not everyone's going to have that luxury, unfortunately, in a lot of their roles. But in terms of what we had, we had that flexibility where I could actually go and collaborate with, you know, our account teams and say, hey, listen, this is what I'm thinking of doing. What are your thoughts? Right. And that's what happens in the entrepreneur world. You kind of come up with an idea. You start the ideation process of what it should look like. And then you go present it to someone and say, hey, listen, I'm thinking of doing this. Do you think there's a need for it? Do you think there's a market for it? Can we you know, potentially monetize this even? And so those skills, I think, came in terms of planning and strategic planning, came in together um, quite, uh, quite smoothly. The parts that didn't come, which were, which were a lot of fun. So building a brick and mortar store is a whole different ballgame of negotiating, you know, your, your rents and your, um, your leaseholds and the, even the construction that's going to happen and everything else. So being able to work with someone that had that exposure and that experience. And again, in my case, it was my father who has done that, you know, a hundred times over. He had over, you know, 10, 10 12 uh, different stores that he had, you know, renovated over and over again in all the major malls in the GTA. So he had that experience. So I got a lot of insights from him to go in and say, you know what, when you go in for this deal, 
you're negotiating this much rent break or whatever have you. And I'm like, well, you can actually do that? He's like, yes, you can, right? So there were a lot of elements of that network that really helped. So taking that and then bringing them into, into the corporate world, I mean, those were not necessarily applicable, but you get an understanding of how the business world works from that lens. Because when we're working with customers, they have a different perspective on it than we're coming in. We're coming in as a vendor for them, right? So they're looking at that, but you have to be able to get into their mindset of how they're running their business. And once you can do that, you can start understanding where all the costs are, all the benefits are, and you know, all that association. When you start tying all that together, I think there's a, there's a, a cross of those skill sets that you can, you can you know, bring across from one to the other. Yeah, it, it, obviously the, the roles that we have are, are give us the flexibility to you know, color outside the lines and, and operate it the way you wish. Now, not everyone does that. And so it is up, up to you. Do you feel like your benefit of being able to do both simultaneously made you better in both scenarios? Or, you know, if we circle back to when you took the career path versus entrepreneurship path, we're like, listen, like, I love my journey. I can't change my journey. But if I were to do it all again, yeah, maybe I would just jump right into entrepreneurship. Or do you feel like you got a bunch of value that's going to make you a way better entrepreneur now by taking this path? Absolutely. Uh, you know, without a doubt. I think when I look at the experiences that I had, even with my father's business, um, you know, he was a retailer. Let's, let's, let's put it this way, right? And out of a retail, even having, you know, eight to 10 retail stores, it's one thing. But some of the manufacturers that we were working with were, you know, two, three, four hundred million dollar businesses, right? So totally different in terms of what you're going to be incorporating with. And learning how to talk and interact with those level of businesses is the skill that we got from Microsoft, right? So there was definitely that skill set that I could go in and say, okay, you know what? I know exactly how to talk to the C-suite over there at this company now, or any company for that matter, versus seeing other entrepreneurs who don't have that exposure, don't really understand how a big business operates, what their challenges are. So, you know, those are some of the factors. But the other one is, I also now understand how I want to build a business to be at that level, right? So what kind of efficiencies, technologies you need to apply versus keeping it at a certain, certain level and saying, you know what, this is good enough. Whereas you're like, okay, I can actually take this to a, a new heights, if, if you will. So I think those skills were absolutely and are absolutely essential. If I were to do it again from that perspective, I think I would say, yeah, I would definitely take the corporate journey again because there's a lot of experiences you get there, a lot of confidence building, a lot of key networks that you get exposed to. But and in that same, um, same breath, I would say, I would have probably pulled the cord earlier to leave rather than spending the whole 15 years or 20 years in corporate. Fair enough. Yeah, I think that's the balance everyone tries to, to figure out. Yeah. And each person's journey is personal and individual and, and different, but it's always good to hear other people's stories. Now, other than the experience of driving through a drive through, are there other elements, and we're going to talk about, you know, WorkPal in a second, but are there other elements that you think uniquely position you to solve this problem other than driving through a drive through from your experiences, you know, observing and, and seeing and being a part of these other entrepreneurial journeys around you and your family and your time at Microsoft? Yeah, I think one of, one of the core aspects that I look at about myself in terms of why I would be uniquely positioned for this is I like to help people become efficient. Uh, so that productivity element is so essential for me 
And, and when I look at even being in the entrepreneur world, and you know, we'll put Microsoft aside for now, through the family experiences, I saw the battle between owners and employees. It was always a constant battle of trust and, you know, and struggle of, you know, I want this, this shift or I don't want this shift or I can work or I can't work. And as a business, essentially, in any business for that matter, if we really get down to the, to the nitty gritty of it, whether it's a fast food restaurant or a high-end chain, they really don't care which employee is working. Let's call it for what it is. As long as the customer is served, that's who they really care about. It's not about, hey, you know what? It's TJ coming in today and I love it because TJ is going to be. No, it's which one of my customers are coming in and do I have the workforce there to handle it? That's what it comes down to. And it goes the same to the corporate world, right? If we look at it, corporations, yes, they're there as a, as a for-profit in, in, in a lot of cases, and it's a matter of, you know what, I want to pair TJ up with this customer because the, no, it's if TJ's not around, we're taking the next best guy or, you know, whoever's available or next best girl is available and say, let's have the adequate coverage on these accounts. It's not about matching these individuals. If you get that, that's a bonus, right? But the, the core necessity is fulfilling that need. So when I look at recognizing that and saying, okay, I need to solve a couple of things. One from the business side is making sure there's adequate coverage, irrespective of who it is. So our system actually eliminates discrimination and favoritism because that's something that we face in, in the workplace, especially in a lot of uh, fast-paced environments. You might have someone who needs a shift that's available. And what happens is, well, I'm going to give it to Mike because I like Mike. Well, that's not how we should be operating, right? Because now TJ is getting left behind because possibly because of you know various different reasons, doesn't get along with the supervisor or whatever, right? It could be discrimination. It could be racism. You, you, you can, you know, that list goes on. We eliminate all of that because our algorithm doesn't look at any of that. It doesn't care about that. It just says we need a skill set that has to be matched with a position and that's it. From a business owner or a supervisor perspective, you're getting the adequate coverage. From the employee perspective, you're getting the freedom, right? And that's what employees want because they're like, well, you know what? Saturday night, I'm going to watch a Leafs game. I can't make it in today because I, I don't want to be working for whatever reason. Usually they get their way. And when an employee calls in sick, then it's, you know, I've either got a headache or I'm not feeling well, or I've got this one day flu, all of that, nothing that an employer can argue back with. So why are we even making that an issue, right? Why don't we just eliminate that? If the employee doesn't want to work, let's find a replacement and not have to deal with it. The reason why we don't do it today is because people are lazy. So Typically, what happens in organizations? Well, if someone wants to change their shift or schedule, well, go find a replacement is what the supervisor or manager says, and then come back to me and I'll swap you guys out because they don't want to do the work, right? So taking all of that into consideration and recognizing that from how people operate and how they work is how I'm designing this platform to say, you know what, I'm going to free up the people, I'm going to free up the supervisors, and I'm going to make sure that the, the, the owners are actually generating the revenue they're supposed to, that they're set up their business for. Well, I'm excited to jump into it then, TJ. We've kind of given some teasers. We're going to cover some of this stuff, maybe again, but in more depth. But before we do, you're on a show called Pitch, Please. So before we go anywhere, TJ, your best pitch, please. Absolutely. So imagine a world where last minute shift changes and staffing gaps no longer drain your time and resources. That's what we're building with WorkPal. We're on a mission to solve the challenges that supervisors, managers, and employees face when managing their schedule, especially when it comes to last minute changes. 
Our platform ensures that you have the right people at the right place at the right time, instantly filling shifts with your existing staff so that your business can operate at its best capacity. I love it. Well, let's talk about that to start. Yeah. Let's talk about the industries that this serves. What a What is like the scope of industries that this covers and what's the norm today? I know you were talking about a little bit of this, like some of the, the laziness and we'll go get yeah. someone to fill your shift. But what are the, the key industries that you're at least starting with? I know over time, this might have a broader scope, but what are the industries you're starting with and what's the norm? Yeah, absolutely. So when, when I look at the industries that we can hit, I've mapped them out to, I mean, you name it, retail, healthcare, hospitality, manufacturing, law enforcement. And that's kind of where we kind of conceptualized when I was talking about earlier, uh, logistics and transportation, right? Education, we're talking about teachers that are coming in as supply teachers, for example, right? But they're just brought in to be a body sitting in that classroom. Well, my daughter was telling me the other day that, you know, in her math class, they had a teacher who didn't know math. So she just sat there as a body. Well, now why, why not match that supply teacher with the right skill set so that at least the education continues on? It's not a wasted day, right? Like you name it, aviation from ground crew, right, to, uh, to flight attendants and crew, entertainment and events, right? So all of that we can, we can definitely cover in, in through what we can do with, with WorkPal. And is there one or two that you're starting to, to lean in on? And I guess what would be the norm in those areas? Like yeah. you talked a little bit about, hey, go get, it sh go get your shifts filled, which I'm sure is like a good chunk of it. But what are the other scenarios of how this would be you know, resolved today? Because I assume that's where we'll talk a little bit about the value of how simple you're going to make that. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the industries that I'm starting off with right now that we're actually in active conversations are, are healthcare. That's a big, big, big one. And then hospitality. I'm also getting uh, interest from manufacturing as well, because that's, uh, there's a big impact when, when an assembly line goes down. And we're talking about in the hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars, depending on the organization. So we're having those conversations. But the norm right now, and, and the way we look at it is that we're not really a, a scheduling platform per se. So we're not really competing with any of those, uh, the, the existing platforms that go out and create your schedule for a week, two weeks, a month, or a quarter out. We're actually complementing those. What happens with a lot of these platforms today is that they end at just creating the schedule, right? You can do shift changes ahead of time. You can do all of that. Great. That's not what we're getting into. What we do is it's last minute stuff. It's today. It's tomorrow. It's next three days. Something that's happening that if you know, let's, you know, find that replacement. A lot of um, the process today are either finding a replacement manually, right? or putting that burden on the supervisor. And then the other aspect is, especially if there's their critical environment, is a supervisor getting a call at 4 a.m., right? Saying, I'm not coming in to cover my shift at 5. And who has to do it? It's the supervisor, right? So they hate that aspect of it. One of our customers we're talking to now, they're a 24-hour uh, shop where they help individuals with disabilities. It's a, it's a, it's a not-for-profit. And that is one of their challenges. They've got their team. And when someone doesn't pick up and, uh, and take their shift or, or commit to their shift, that burden falls on the supervisor to find that replacement. And if they don't, then they have to go in and do it. And typically what we find, Mike, is that organizations and their supervisors, managers are spending anywhere from 20 to 60% of their time daily reshuffling and rejigging schedules, right? So imagine taking all that burden away 
and letting your supervisor and leadership teams do what they need to do, which is what they're hired to do, as opposed to this cleanup. Well, let's talk about how that works then. So obviously, a lot of this starts with someone is unable to make a shift. Yes. That's the initial problem and everything kind of snowballs from there. Walk us through how the product itself works. And is it, uh, you know, an app on a phone? Is it on the website? Is it integrated into something? Let's talk about it right from start to finish and talk about how you're going to really help improve this. for. for yeah, absolutely. So the way our system works now is you. So t- today what happens is let's just say I'm going to be calling in sick for whatever reason because I've got a headache and I'm not going to go in. I pick up the phone, either end up calling my supervisor and saying, hey, you know, uh, Mike, I'm not coming in today. Mike says why and this and that. And we have to go through this back and forth. So there's a little level of anxiety that I have calling in, like, especially if I'm lying, right? It's like, I'm, I don't want to go in and I have to make this excuse up. And so there's a hesitation and there's that anxiety that comes in there. Mike doesn't care about TJ coming in or not. Now Mike cares about, I've got to find a replacement because otherwise we, we, can't, we can't operate. And there's some organizations that have minimum staffing requirement, right? So those, you're, 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 you're in, a, in a really bad situation. Like think of a Costco as an example. Their kitchen crew, you cannot operate unless you have a certain amount of staff member that have their food handling licenses to be in that kitchen. Otherwise, you have to close it down. And this goes across, you know, the Walmarts into their, their delis and, you know, meat handling, you name it. So it's the same rules apply. That's the standard way of doing it. So now there's chaos, there's, there's stress involved of, you know, how do I solve this? How do I find the right person? And what happens with that process is now Mike is now stressing, I've got to find a replacement. You end up calling everyone that you know at the top of your mind that could potentially fill the ship, right? Or you have a list that you go through. And sometimes we end up calling the same people two or three times, right? And now they're getting ticked off. And the people that are constantly covering these shifts are the ones that are saving the day, but now they're getting ticked off because now there's this extra burden on them what they don't want to deal with. And you know what? Mike's a great guy. He always looked out for me. I don't want to say no to him. And now it's causing a lot of, a lot of friction. So our platform eliminates all of that, Mike. And basically what this happens is now, if I'm going to be calling in sick, I go into the platform, which is SMS-based. It knows who I am. It's got the database. It has everything. And I would basically message it and saying, I'm not coming in for the shift today. It would go in and say, are you sure you want to cancel this shift? And the shift is, you know, from today, from say 6 p.m. until whatever. And I would say, yep, confirmed. As soon as it does that, your shift is canceled. You're off the roster. And now it will go in and find the replacement and basically send out a communication, almost like an Uber-like approach where you're saying, I need an Uber ride right now. It's like, no, I need someone to cover the shift right now. Goes out to everyone who's eligible. So when I say eligible, we eliminate the requirements of overtime, right? We eliminate the requirements of someone who's working right now, because that would just be stupid calling them and saying, hey, are you available for this ship when they're already on a ship? So we eliminate all of that and take those factors into consideration and then say, okay, these are the people that are eligible now. Let's send them a broadcast communication and saying, are you available to take this ship? Whoever takes that shift gets that shift. If for whatever reason that layer does not take on that shift, a message comes to the supervisor and saying, listen, TJ's canceled the shift. We tried with tier one. Tier one is not available. Now, with your permission, we would have to go into overtime. Are you okay with that? So if the supervisor says, yeah, we're good. And it's talking to the AI platform, says, yeah, we're good. Now the AI goes in and says, okay, now we're going to tier two and finding someone who is going to actually hit overtime. But as long as we have the adequate coverage, that's kind of how we operate through that. Brilliant. So now I imagine people's shifts are 
are in tons of different systems um, and, and calendared in different ways. Yeah. Does this sync up automatically? And if so, you know, what are the immediate things that you'll be able to, to snap into and hook into? And what's sort of on the roadmap for what will be uh, available yeah. as you continue to build this out? So, I mean, we're like, there's a million different systems out there, right? So some of the bigger ones, um, like ADP and, uh, and day fours, we're actually working on integrations with them right now. So it's a matter of integrating with them. This will also take care of payroll. So now when the shift has changed, we remove you off that shift. It gets pushed into the backend system of these, these, um, ERPs and platforms and this, you know, their roster gets updated accordingly. And then the payroll gets updated accordingly as well. So that there's less manual work. Uh, but that's a work in progress in terms of how we're building through those as as we start building and uh, taking on on customers. Got it. And then that'll do the same once someone accepts, I guess. It'll just pop them back exactly. into that schedule. So everything still gets managed in the central place. It's just all the shift changing can be done at the simple request of a text. Exactly. Text when you're not able to show, it cascades a message to different tiers of groupings based on eligibility. And yep. it's first come, first serve. Whoever responds first, I'm good it swaps them in, in, in that regard. Exactly. And the other aspect that we're looking at it from a, from a law enforcement perspective is let's just say we need extra hands on deck, right? So this is not now a shift cancellation. It's now instead of broadcast. You up, can push that out yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and people can just come on board. And so, you know, who's signed up, especially in a, in a, in a, um, a state of crisis or uh, emergency, because you're not really yep. tackling on. So at least, you know, who's coming in. Firefighters, same kind of thing, volunteer firefighters, right? So now you need to bring these people in. You don't have time to look at and assess and do all of that. It's let's get all the hands on deck and we can assess all that afterward. And now you have that roster of, hey, these are the people that accepted and they came on and then they basically were part of yeah, the organization. Got it. And so your target market for this isn't the um, end employee. Obviously, they're a benefactor of it. Yeah. But it's really the organizations themselves who are interested in maximizing uptime and capacity, I guess, in some regard. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Because e even going back to that McDonald's incident that I was talking about, right? They lost a lot of revenue. So seeing that lineup, there's a lot of people that are not coming through that drive-through anymore, right? I went in and then I got stuck, mind you. But if I had seen what was happening there, and there's probably a lot of individuals that drove away. I and I see these opportunities everywhere now. I was at a Costco the other day and it got busy, so I saw abandoned shopping carts. Each abandoned shopping cart is anywhere from five hundred to a thousand dollars. We know what Costco is like. At least right? at Costco, thousand yeah. bucks is on the cheap side at Costco. Well, you know what I mean, right? So, and yeah. then the average. So, if they were able to get people coming in and open another few cash registers, then you you've got flow, right? And uh, and your revenue goes up. And you know, in comparison to what you're paying hourly to one of those shopping carts, right? It offsets it just like that. And I've seen, and I count these things now. So when I go by, I'm like, oh, that's, you know, this much revenue loss right there that could have potentially been impacted. Well, I think that perfect segue, I think, you know, you're, you're counting shopping carts of cash. <laughs> how much does this product cost or how's the pricing work on it? Um, and, and I guess, where do you make money? It might become obvious when you tell us a little bit about how the pricing of this works. Yeah, so we're we're basically doing um, licensing at the moment for either per user, depending on the organization size, or we're doing organization wide, especially if they've got multiple locations as well. So we've got different structures, and it's it's very customized pricing at this stage. We will basically get to a point when we basically anchored that pricing in. And our platform, um, you know, say you know, is is hosted on Azure, right? So we we are on Azure. We're building everything um, on Azure as we scale. 
So all of that is consistent with, you know, we put that burden on Microsoft, if you will, to handle that. And that's, that's what we know best, right? In terms of the background and experiences I've got. And yeah, so the pricing is basically in scale with, uh, with, with the, uh, the consumption model works. Got it. So you'd have some set of how many users are going to need this. It's not like a per shift. No, basically. exactly. It's because I, I, I want to make it simple. So whether, you know, the organization, I don't want organizations to be sitting there thinking of, well, I'm going to cost yeah. me more when I push this. No, you want exactly. them to use the tool. I want them to use it. Here it is. It's all you can eat in certain cases. You know, there's going to be add-ons in terms of some of the, the factors of implementation, if that's required, or if there's a specific training required. It's very simple to use um, per, per se. So a lot of organizations should be able to get up and running on their own. But, um, you know, that support system is there. But yeah, the, even the, the pricing, I'm, I'm simplifying it just so that people can start adapting it and getting accustomed to it. That's super cool. Um, so where, where are you at in the journey? Uh, you know, it, how long have you been building this? Is it available today? Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we've been we've been building it for a while, you know, in terms of especially the design aspect and, um, and and the actual development of it. But we're at the point where we're taking on customers now, right? So we're um, we were actually we've tested it out, we played around with it, we poked around with it. So we're out of beta and we're we're taking on our early customers right now just to get them uh, get them started. So they are going to get some uh, some additional benefits of starting early, right? In terms of uh, locked in pricing and. Um, and support that's uh, that's going to help us in terms of learning a few things along the way, but uh, but that's kind of where we're at. So if there's customers in the in the healthcare, hospitality, law enforcement, retail space, we're we're more than happy to you know look at uh, early conversations. Like that's cool. So that actually might allude to what's what's in the next six to twelve months for for WorkPal and what's uh, what's the roadmap looking like? What are the top priorities for you in the next six to twelve months? Yeah, I think one of there, there's a, there are certain components that I'm I'm trying to build out on the roadmap, and and one of those is going to be the reporting and the integration. So the integration is really big for me because again, I'm I'm about productivity and efficiency. The last thing I want to do is introduce a product to an organization, and then they have to do manual work to get their payroll and everything else sorted out. So that's something that we're working on the roadmap is how do we get that integration between other platforms. So that's been a big priority for me in terms of uh, getting that integration uh, up and running and working. Got it. So integration is going to be a big piece of the roadmap ahead. So as you're onboarding those new customers, that'll probably lead you to whose integrations or what integrations exactly. are going to be most relevant to prioritize as you go through that. That's correct. Um, it sounds like things have been a snap and easy, but journeys are never easy. <laughs> I chuckle because whenever I have these conversations, we talk through and it's a breeze and being an entrepreneur is a breeze. What's What's sort of been the most challenging part of like, Maybe maybe it's in WorkPal and, and sort of getting WorkPal up and going, or maybe it was making that switch for you and jumping all into being an entrepreneur or the hesitation to maybe go back to a career. What's sort of been like the hardest part of like this build phase for you? I, I think there's, there's new skills that you have to build, right? Through all of this. And learning that aspect of it. And for, well, I, let's not even say learning, identifying what those skills are and then going out and learning them, right, I think is, um, is, is one of the challenges. Um, as an entrepreneur, there's so many distractions. Everything's a distraction. Like I can go do this, I can do this, I can do that. Because essentially you have that free will, right, to, to go out and do whatever you want to do. So one of the challenges there is, especially because I'm, I'm running two businesses right now, it's about really balancing and juggling between them. But that's something I've done all my life, essentially. So for me, it's not that, that complex. But I think if I was to say what the challenge is, is, is finding the right customers 
who are willing to, you know, put that bet in and say, okay, let's, let's, let's give this a shot and see if we can solve this problem. Got it. So it's finding those real first movers that yeah. want to take the leap, that see the value. I think that's always the tricky part, right? Because people can see the value, but especially, I don't want to knock Canadians. We're good at a lot of things, but one <laughs> thing we are not great at doing is taking some risks a lot of times Exactly. in being the first. And I say that not in terms of like Canadians generally, but Canadian companies, I find, uh, and I don't know if maybe you have seen this too, TJ, but I find they always ask the pivotal question, well, who else is already doing this? Yeah. Who like, yeah. and then the next follow-up question is, well, who exactly like me is doing this? Yeah. Yeah. But no one really ever wants to be the first, even if it's at a deal or a discount or a proof of concept, it's, it's usually challenging. And it seems like that's a piece that, that you're, you know, feeling. Yeah. And I think, rolling. yeah, I, I think, I think that there's two components to it, right? I mean, if you find the right people, uh, because the, the early movers, there's always a small, small fraction of them, right? So majority are going to be, no, we're not. So our first client that we've actually came on with was just that. He's like, you know what? I like what you're doing. I believe in what you're doing. So I'm going to support this. Right. And, and that was just amazing to get that feedback to say, you know what, we're, we're onto, onto something. And, and we've actually got someone who's actually cutting us a check and saying, you know what, this is how much I believe in it. Cause that's the hardest part. You got a lot of people saying, oh, this is great. You got the great vision and this is amazing. Well, cut me a check and let's talk about this. And, well, let me think about it. Right. That's what usually happens. But when you get those customers that come in and say, you know what, I, I, I really do. And I think there's a, there, there's a real pain that you're solving here. And, and, and I'll share what, uh, what the conversation was with that first client, because in his organization, anywhere from 30 to 60% of the time of each of the supervisors is actually being spent. And when we calculated it, he had about six or seven, he has about six or seven supervisors. And he equated that to close to half a million dollars annually wasted. Wow. Right. And when he looked at that, he goes, this is ridiculous. And the cost of our platform was a fraction to solve that, right? And he's like, this is a no-brainer. So understanding that, and, and that's the biggest pain people have to recognize, right? Just the cost and lost labor of just supervisors alone. I'm not talking about revenue loss because that's hard to calculate for a lot of organizations. Yeah. Say, okay, how much did we, did that person leave that, abandon that shopping cart because they didn't want to or the lineup or something else came up? Those are all hypothetical situations. But when you look at, the actual cost of a supervisor or a manager manually doing all this day in, day out for five hours a day, right? That's, that, that's easy to calculate, right? And that's, what, that's all he calculated on. So we didn't calculate anything else of, you know, the, the morale, the impact on the morale that, uh, that happens on the team, the, the impact on the mental health, the anxiety, the stress. Those are hard to calculate. So yeah, not even the empty shopping carts in line. No, exactly, exactly. I, I love it. Well, has there been something that has been like a, a highlight for you or something that, you know, has been a really memorable moment as you've gotten the ball rolling here on WorkPal? I, I would also say my first client, I, I don't think I'll ever forget that moment uh, to, to recognize, you know, for, from them to recognize that this is something. And then for us to actually strike that deal and say, hey, this is, you know, this is what we're um, headed towards uh, achieving. It's, it, it's probably going to be the most memorable moment that I'm going to probably, you know, live with for, for the rest of my life. I think. It, it's funny. I, I should almost start a whole episode or a whole series called My First Customer yeah. and talk about first customer stories because I don't think there's, I would say 60 to 80% of the people that come on the, the podcast here, and I'm sure this is for everyone, 
it doesn't matter if it was like a $10 customer and $10 transaction or a couple hundred thousand, everyone's first customer, they spent multiples of that celebrating just because of what it meant. It was that validation that work you're doing as an entrepreneur, which is sometimes so risky and, and, you know, you overthink is what I'm doing right. You have to push past all of the, the no's and it, this isn't going to work. This isn't needed. And you're hearing that every day. And so that when they get that first, first five bucks, 10 bucks, hundred thousand bucks, million bucks from that first customer. Yeah. It really helps validate the hard work you've been putting in, which is and, cool. You know, it's, it's funny you, you, you say that Mike, because one of the things that I haven't had is anyone saying we don't need this. So, which has been the complete opposite, which you actually, you know, it got me to question myself. I'm like, am I really doing this right? Like what's going on? Everyone says that every, you're going to get no's, no's, no's. Every client I've potentially talked to has been, wow, like we, we actually need this. This is, this is going to be a game changer, whether it's healthcare, whether like you name it, like it's, it's, so that's been reassuring, but I'm also being selective at the same time of, you know, who am I rolling out with? Because I need to take that data input for myself. And be able to partner with these um, early organizations rather than just saying, "Hey, go deploy this and and you know just use it and uh, um, and then see how it goes." I, I really want to actually partner with these organizations for learning for them and for myself as we continue to grow and develop. That makes sense. Well, TJ, thank you for sharing you know your story with us. A whole bunch of work, pal. It sounds like things are going amazing. Before we kind of wrap up today, are there any kind of final closing words, either on things that are advice that you would share with others, kind of going through a similar thing or a similar journey? There's always great advice on the end of the show. So turn it over to you to see if there's any thoughts that you want to share with the audience. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Advice, I would say, is trust your gut. We, we, it's, it's underrated. We start covering everything that our gut tells us with logic and this and that and you know strategy of this. I found that, for, at least for me personally, through my career, even you know starting at Microsoft, everything, my gut had a huge role in it. And it was... Little things like talking to someone about an opportunity because someone said to go do it, leading into something else, leading into something else. And it was just, you know, you, you look back and you're like, how did that even all fall in place? But it was because you trusted your gut to go do something, right? That's probably my biggest advice. Like if, you, if you're on the edge of, do I do this? Do I not? Believe in yourself because others won't, right? So if others are not going to believe in you, then you've only got yourself to believe in yourself. I love that. Well, if people want to find out more about WorkPal or anything else you're up to, um, and again, we'll, we'll link all this in the description, but where should they go if they're interested in you know, signing up for WorkPal? Um, uh, yeah, tell, tell us where to head. Yeah, the, the best way is on the WorkPal website. You've got a form that you can fill out that will get right to, uh, to us. The other way is just find me on LinkedIn, right? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm quite active on LinkedIn. Send me a message. I try to respond to every message that I do get. So send me a connection request there or a message and, uh, you know, in the subject line, just put in work, pal. I'll be more than happy to kind of uh, get engaged and started on that conversation. Amazing. And just in case everyone's listening and trying to write it down, we'll have it in the description, but it's WRKPAL.com, correct, That's, TJ? Yeah, you got it. Okay, awesome. Whenever anyone's kind of getting things set up and going, I ask this question, the answer may be nothing other than, hey, if you know a customer, but as you get the ball rolling on work, pal, and where you are right now in your, your development of it. If someone's listening that just so happens to be the right person, what kind of help or support do you need right now or would you benefit from if someone, the right person's listening in? I, I think it's getting in front of the right, right customers for one. 
and potentially investors, right? So I'm looking at when I'm scaling and, and mapping the, the platform out, I'm looking at getting and onboarding the right customers. And then as soon as that's ready, I need to scale. So in order for scaling, we need to make sure we can build the right teams quite quickly and fast and be able to be as effective as we need to be. So those are the two, it's the customers and investors. And I'm, I'm assuming most uh, startups are looking for the same thing as well, but that's, that's kind of what's on my radar. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure that we, we shout that out in the description. So if there's any people that are, you know, uh, able to link up to a great new customer or interested in being or connecting an investor into this type of a business, we'll, we'll make sure we set that up. TJ, thanks again for joining in today. I had a blast. Thanks everybody who tuned in for another episode of the Pitch Please podcast. And we'll make sure to catch you on the next episode. Have a good night. You've been listening to the Pitch Please podcast. Pitch Please. Pitch Please. <laughs> Hosted by Mike Thibodeau. Tune in for regular episodes and show notes at pitchplease.ca. And make sure to give us a follow on your favorite podcast platform. Pitch Please, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by Michael Thibodeau and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Pitch Please content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord. <laughs>